A litany was originally a prayer in procession, as it turns out, and what we have done this morning is is recapturing something really quite ancient. And in the midst of it, we've asked deliverance from such things as wickedness and evil, pride and vainglory, and also our inordinate and sinful affections. We've asked deliverance, among other things, from those desires we have which are destructive to us. We've asked deliverance from destructive desires. Perhaps they're the wild beasts of the wilderness and the things we are to confront during the wilderness season of Lent. We're enjoined to take on disciplines of prayer and fasting and almsgiving in order to open us more fully to God's grace and more... um, more openly to invite God's transforming grace that we can amend our lives and we can become more the people we were created to be in preparation for Easter. If we imagine Jesus in the wilderness at all, chances are that we imagine him as a rather solitary figure, struggling alone, uh, battling with Satan, struggling for integrity, confronting inner demons, confronting his human appetites, all of the above. Certainly, that is one picture and one story. In some ways, my favorite Tiffany window back there which you'll look at as you leave church, the temptation window. You could, be, you could see Jesus as being alone in the wilderness. But this picture grows from when it's seen that way and gives rise to what some have called the romantic lie. And the romantic lie is that Any of us ultimately are autonomous human beings capable of free choices independently or largely independently of the influence of those around us. The lie is that desire is an individual matter, an individual choice, a matter of individual taste, a matter of individual uh, want, and that confronting desire is something we do all alone in our own particular wilderness. The truth is rather different from the romantic lie. The truth is that our desires, all of them, good and bad, are shaped as a social matter. One of the side effects, happy side effects of my marriage, is that I've been introduced to matters cultural that otherwise might not have um, crossed my path. Hence, I have seen the devil wears Prada. Um, (laughs) gather some of you have too. The, uh, the main character is after a book, but the main character is played by Meryl Streep, who is fantastic. And there's a marvelous, if minor, scene where the young college graduate that she has employed is wearing a, some kind of blue sweater, looking fairly unfashionable, uh, which is not unnoticed by Streep and the other important people and she, the, the college graduate sort of sneers or is considers is unimpressed by some very minor, what appears to be a very minor decision about some very picky little matter of, of fashion that was coming up for the release of a magazine in the fashion industry. And Meryl Streep rips into her and lets her know in no uncertain terms that that blue sweater she's wearing that she's so proud of was shaped six years ago in that very room, and she goes through the chain of events of the fashion industry that was shaped desire after shaped desire after shaped desire that she didn't even know her desire for that sweater had been shaped when she walked into the shop. It's very uh, compelling, this chain of events uh, that, that teaches us what to like and what we want. 
least one of the ways we learn desire is through imitation. We want what appears attractive that we should want. And none of us think we're motivated to keep up with the Joneses. But in fact, desire does get shaped that way, doesn't it? I think, I think you look pretty cool on top of your life, and I, you, know, you look good, and maybe I'll buy some trousers like that. It's not conscious. It's certainly not rational, but it's not conscious. And this is how all of our uniforms become real, that, that uh, you know, the Episcopal uniform of khaki trousers and a blue blazer is in a way no differently shaped than the chap who wears baggy pants that appear to start at his knees or the person who's in a group that all have tattoos and body piercings. Our desires are shaped communally, however individualistic we think we're being, however independent and, and free we think we're being. Christian tradition has long recognized this. Our tradition knows that our desires are shaped socially. St. Augustine of Hippo, who many of you have heard of it or read the confessions, uh, uh, almost a prayer to God of self-examination of his life. And early in his youth and early in the book, he talks about being part of a gang that steals succulent pears from an orchard. And, and, And then he starts reflecting. He says, you know, I would never have stolen by myself. I didn't really want the pears. What I wanted was to belong to the gang. I wanted to be a part of things. I wanted that sense of camaraderie. And he reflects on this. He says, but you know, that's ephemeral too. That's passing. I didn't really want that. And it leads him eventually to acknowledge before God. He says, my desire, O God, is for you. The good news in all of this is that as surely as our desires are formed communally, so our tastes can change And our confronting destructive desires is also a communal matter of sorts as well. This doesn't let us off the hook for our individual sins and choices and willful continuation of destructive behavior or any of the rest of it. It just means we don't need to imagine ourselves in the wilderness alone. Tastes, we know our tastes can change. First time I had skim milk, thought it was repulsive, disgusting. And then I got used to 2%, and then at some point started skim milk. And now, if I have whole milk backstand on my cereal or in my tea, it's like cream. It's just not what I want. My desires have been reshaped. Happens all the time. It's not impossible. But these willful, destructive, habitual desires that are at the root of sin... Those are a different thing, and we don't have to do it alone. You see, what you don't see in our Tiffany window is in the gospel, and that is that Jesus was not alone. He was waited on by angels. So if we're fasting or foregoing something we think we need or or desire in order to shape or have the reordering of those desires in accordance with God's purposes, then we might as well look for angels who will help us while we confront the wild beasts. If desire is in some sense imitative, then where do we find those angels, those people, those qualities, those stories, those ideas that are closer to our truest desires? And the answer is right here. Right here, each week, around the Lord's table, amongst the people of God, That's where we find the angels. It's here that we hear again the story of a man of absolute integrity. 
who opens up the possibility of radically new, radically reordered creation, and that creation includes us. Here's where we find uh, a call and a hope and angels who will go with us along the way. It's here that we have some chance of meeting people on the journey who are living in ways other than those those desires constructed for us for succulent fruit or for belonging to a gang. Here we can hear stories about what really matters and begin to get a woken desire for love itself. Some of you have met or perhaps been yourself people who've fallen in love with love rather than loving. And that's an important reshaping that needs to take place. This past Friday, we buried a friend and longtime parishioner here. I saw some of you at the funeral. Reet Phillips was known to many of you. A fabulous woman who lived with gusto until she died, who had a tough, tough life. She buried not one, but two husbands. She confronted all kinds of destructive behaviors in her life and overcame them. She overcame cancer once and ultimately came back and got her. Uh, At one point, a friend visited her in Roswell and said, why are you driving into All Saints all the time? She said, because that's where I belong. Sometimes she was away for a couple of years, but she was here. This was her place. It was the place that mattered to her because it's where she got her head right and where she was fed with courage to take on the next battle, to overcome the latest disappointment, to fight the good fight against, against willful desires, and to let the angels minister to her through it all in sacrament and in word and in people who she met along the way. She found not only community, but a community of faith. She found the angels. And this is a a community that we can trust to shape our desires and to keep refining and refining those desires until we become close to our truest, deepest selves, our deepest desires, the ones that not only bring joy to us, but which matter to everyone. In prayer this day, I suggest that you consider what it is that you really want for your life this week. Don't censor yourself. It's not selfish. Best to start with what we really want and see how those desires get shaped over time. And I invite you to consider what you really want, remembering perhaps that true abundance for you is true abundance for everyone. Suggestion is not selfish, but more an invitation to discover, to begin to discover our deepest desires that in Lent, in the weeks to come, we can be reordered for a new experience, a new celebration of hope and victory and life at Easter. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.